you will please take your Bible and turn with me at this time to the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 19 this morning, verses 1 through 12. Our message series is called Jesus the Master Teacher. And uh, we've been looking at a series of Jesus' teachings as we find them in three chapters in the Bible, Matthew chapters 18, 19, and 20. Uh, Today's teaching has to do with marriage, divorce, and singleness. And I know that divorce is a difficult, it's a challenging subject for many of us, and so I just want you to note at the outset of our message today, I want you to notice where this falling, where this teaching falls in the Gospel of Matthew. Do you know where it falls? Right after last week's message. You know what last week's message was on? Forgiveness. On God's unlimited forgiveness. We said last week, God offers unlimited forgiveness, and therefore, so should we. And so I just want to say at the beginning of this message, if you have divorce in your past, uh, or if you're going through a difficult time in your marriage right now, please know that God loves you, and he wants to help you. Remember that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. He offers forgiveness. He offers new life to everyone who puts their trust in him. As we said last week, God's grace is greater than all our sins. And that means that we can bring God our troubles, all of our problems, all of our failures, all of our sins, because God is there, He cares, and He forgives. So we're in Matthew 19 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 throughout the course of the message. But to get started, I'm just going to read verses 4 through 6. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. These are the words of Jesus. Haven't you read... He replied that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we uh, uh, approach your word this morning, as we listen in on this teaching, Lord Jesus, that you gave so many years ago and yet is so relevant uh, to our lives today, Lord, we want to submit to your word today. We want to submit our hearts to you. It's uh, one thing to hear your word, Lord, but unless we uh, bend our hearts to it, Uh, then it will just bounce off. It will not help us. Lord, help us to hear and obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So if you had to give a talk on marriage, divorce, and singleness, what would you say? Now, what if you were told that you only had one minute for your entire talk, okay? You've got to give a TED talk, a TED talk right now on marriage, divorce, and singleness. Your time limit is one minute. What do you say, right? Well, in today's passage, as we're going to look at it, Jesus covered all three topics, all three, and you can read all of his words on them in this passage in under one minute. And yet Jesus spoke with such clarity, such truth, 
such authority that people are still studying his words today, even as we are this morning. You know what? It's no wonder we call Jesus the master teacher. Now, we've seen that these teachings of Jesus in these chapters, chapters 18 through 20, that each of these teachings were prompted by specific occasions. Jesus taught in response to the various questions that people brought to him and posed to him along the way. The occasion for today's uh, series of teachings comes from a question about divorce. So look at verses 1 through 3 with me where we find the occasion uh, for this teaching. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So Jesus leaves Galilee. That's where he was doing the bulk of his ministry. He enters the region of Judea now. He's moving ever closer to Jerusalem. As we get closer to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. And when we read this verse, this this, this officially marks the point of time where Jesus left his ministry in Galilee. He will not return to Galilee again until after his resurrection. But you know what? The crowds are still following him. He's still teaching people. He's still healing people. And while he's here in Judea, a new occasion for teaching arises. Matthew tells us these Pharisees came up to him to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And the fact that Matthew tells us they came to test him, okay, that phrase test him, it tells us they were not sincere in their questioning. They didn't really care what Jesus had to say about this question. What were they? No, they were seeking to trap him in his words. They were hoping to use his words against him, whatever he might say. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by teaching. He's the master teacher. He teaches first about marriage, then about divorce, and then about singleness. There's an outline in your worship guide this morning uh, with those three points outlined for you and the various scriptures we'll be looking at. And I invite you to take that out to follow along or jot down some notes as, as we go through these passages together. First of all, let's take a look at Jesus' teaching about marriage. These are the verses we opened with. Let me read them again for you, verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Notice Jesus doesn't fall into the Pharisees' trap, right? He's too smart for that. So instead of getting into a debate with them, okay, about the various reasons for divorce, is this one okay, is that one okay, how about this one? What does he do? Jesus simply responds by teaching them God's original design for marriage. God's original design, and in doing so, he gives us a biblical definition of marriage. So what is marriage? Here's a biblical definition of marriage. Marriage was created by God 
as a sacred covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a, vow, a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Let me say that again. Okay, I know it's up on the screen, but let me read that to you again. Marriage was created by God as a sacred covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Now, there are four parts to this definition. All of them come directly out of Jesus' teaching right here in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. So let's take a look at each one together. First of all, marriage was created by God. That's what Jesus said in, in verse 4. He said, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator... The Creator made them male and female. Jesus is quoting here from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which tells us that God is the one who created marriage. And if we are going to talk rightly, if we are going to think rightly about marriage and divorce, this is where we must begin. We must start here. God created marriage, therefore God gets to make the rules, okay? This is his idea. He's the only one who can actually tell us what marriage is and how marriage is supposed to work. So that's the first part of our definition. Marriage was created by God. Very important. Secondly, marriage is a sacred covenant relationship. And that's what Jesus tells us in verse 5 when he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus tells us in marriage a new relationship is formed. The man and the woman, they both leave their respective families and they form a new family. And it is God who joins them together as one flesh. There is no marriage without God's involvement. Unless God joins the two together, there is no marriage. It's a sacred covenant relationship. Now, we have other teaching, for example, in the New Testament. The New Testament goes on to talk about marriage as a picture of Christ and the church. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul explains how the husband-wife relationship reflects the relationship between Jesus and the church. And he even quotes from the same verse from Genesis that Jesus uh, did here about the two becoming one flesh. And he says this in verse 32. He says, this is a profound mystery. He says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. In other words, it's not that Christ and the church are a picture of marriage. Okay, It's the other way around. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Now, follow the logic here. There is no more sacred relationship, right, involving human beings and the covenant relationship between Christ and his church. And therefore, human marriage is also sacred because it is a picture of this relationship. It is meant to point to that beautiful relationship. Marriage is a relationship where God joins the man and woman together as one flesh. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. That's the second part of our definition. Marriage is a sacred covenant relationship. Okay, third part of our definition. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And here in Matthew 19, Jesus points us back to two verses, two scriptures in the book of Genesis. 
Well, what's the book of Genesis? Genesis is the book of beginnings. Genesis is the book of foundations. And one of the foundational principles of marriage that Jesus points us to back in Genesis is that marriage is between a man and a woman. First, he points us back to Genesis 1.27, which says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then Jesus points us back to Genesis 2.24, records the first man and woman coming together in marriage. For this reason, we looked at this, a man uh, will leave his father and mother, will be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, I, I know that's not a popular part of the definition uh, of marriage in today's society, but it is part of the biblical definition of marriage. And it's part of Jesus' teaching on marriage here in Matthew 19. And then finally, marriage is based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Marriage is based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 6, So they are no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And this brings us to the heart of marriage, what marriage is all about. It brings us to this public vow of lifetime faithfulness between a man and a woman. The marriage covenant is based on this public vow of lifetime faithfulness. And so there are actually two ways uh, to break the marriage vow. The first is adultery, which Jesus will speak about uh, in verse 9. We'll get to that in a moment. And then the other is divorce. Adultery breaks the covenant of sexual faithfulness. Divorce breaks the covenant of lifetime commitment. And we read about the importance of lifetime commitment in the Old Testament book of Malachi. We read this. The prophet Malachi tells the people uh, for whom divorce was very common tells the people, the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce says the Lord Almighty. Notice what he calls divorce here. He calls divorce breaking faith. Why are you breaking faith in divorce? Because you are breaking the covenant of lifetime faithfulness. And this lifetime aspect is emphasized even more when he talks about the fact that not simply that you're breaking faith with your wife, but he says, the wife of your youth. Now, some of us get married... uh, uh, when we're older uh, than when other people get married, okay? But whenever you marry, okay, uh, it doesn't matter what age, that's the wife of your youth, okay? That's what he's talking about here. In other words, he's saying you're supposed to keep this covenant of marriage for a lifetime, for a lifetime, because that's what marriage is, right? The marriage vow is until death do us part. It is not until divorce do us part. And so Jesus gives us a biblical definition of marriage here in Matthew 19. What is marriage? 
marriage was created by God as a sacred covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Therefore, Jesus said, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And that leads us to the Pharisees' second question now, which leads us to Jesus' teaching about divorce. And their question for Jesus is basically this. They're saying, well, if marriage was created by God as a sacred covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness, then why is there divorce in the Old Testament? Why does the Why does the Bible speak about divorce? Look at verses 7 and 8 together with me now. Why then, they asked, did Moses command uh, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. And the Pharisees here are referring to Moses' instructions about divorce in the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to look it up later, it's Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Uh, We're not going to read those this morning. Uh, But what you need to understand is in Old Testament times, the woman was the vulnerable party in the divorce. First of all, the woman couldn't divorce her husband. Only the, the husband could divorce the wife. You know, so it was always against her. And then... You know, if she was divorced, then, you know, how is she going to support herself? And so, uh, God gave instructions in the Old Testament in order to protect the woman, in order to preserve her rights in society. But this does not mean that God commanded divorce, right? It certainly doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that God approved of divorce. It doesn't mean that God was endorsing divorce in any way. Jesus puts it this way. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. In other words, divorce was permitted, or maybe even a better word here is regulated. It was regulated in the Old Testament due to hardness of heart. Husbands were just divorcing their wives for for whatever reason. And so God was uh, regulating that. And there were certain things that had to take place, the certificate of divorce, which would protect the woman, uh, which would grant her rights, uh, which would allow her uh, to remarry. But, Jesus says, wasn't this way from the beginning? In other words, this is not part of God's original design. Why is there divorce in the Old Testament? It was permitted or regulated due to, due to hardness of heart. Hardness of heart towards God, hardness of heart uh, from men towards their wives, hardness of heart between spouses, but it's not part of God's original design. And this leads us to the second part of Jesus' teaching on divorce, which is a doozy. Jesus says, you can be divorced and still married in God's eyes. Catch that? You can be divorced and still married in God's eyes. Look at verse 9 now. Jesus says this. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. You might wonder, well, how is it that a person who's 
divorced. I mean, they're divorced, okay? So they're remarried. How could they commit adultery? There's only one reason. It's because they're still married to their first spouse in God's eyes. It's a scary thought, isn't it? You can be divorced in the eyes of the law. You can have a divorce certificate signed, sealed, and notarized by the state that says to the whole world that you're divorced. It says to the whole world you're divorced. You're free to remarry. Jesus says you can still be married in God's eyes. And why is that? Because only God can separate that which he has joined. And the state doesn't join you in marriage, right? It's not the state that does that. God joins you in marriage. The state only affirms what God has already done. The state does not join you in marriage. Therefore, the state does not have the authority to uncouple you from marriage. Only God can separate what God has joined. Once again, God created marriage. He gets to make the rules. Only God can decide who's married and who's not. That's his right. That's his prerogative. So in this case, when you are divorced in the eyes of the state, but you are still married in the eyes of God, Jesus says in this case, remarriage would constitute adultery because you're still married to your original husband or wife. Now, Jesus does provide an exception here. Did you notice that? He says, except in cases of adultery. Remember, there are two ways to break the marriage covenant. One is by adultery. The other is divorce. The Pharisees asked Jesus about easy divorce, you know, for any and every reason, right? He said, no, only one reason. Only one. Jesus says, if you divorce your wife for any reason other than marital unfaithfulness, you marry someone else, you commit adultery because God did not authorize that divorce. You're still married in God's eyes. So Jesus has taught about marriage. He's taught about divorce. And now finally, Jesus goes on to teach about singleness. Look at verses 10 through 12 with me now. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So the Pharisees have been asking questions, now it's the disciples' turn. And they respond to Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce by saying, well, it's better not to marry. Okay, boy, what a negative view, right? And this prompts Jesus' final teaching now about singleness. And you'll notice Jesus uses the word eunuch here. He uses this term eunuch throughout this section to represent someone who remains single rather than marries. He's just speaking about a single person. Jesus begins by telling the disciples, not everyone can accept this word, only those to whom it has been given. And then he gives us some various reasons uh, for singleness. First, he says, some are born that way. Here he's talking about uh, those with a physical disability at birth that uh, would prevent them from engaging in sexual relations. Some are born that way. Next, he says, some were made that way. Uh, Here he's talking about actual eunuchs, okay? 
uh, men who were castrated for various reasons uh, as they were put into service for the king. And then thirdly, he says, some chose that way. Some chose that way for God. These are those who, who intentionally choose singleness over marriage in order to better serve God and his kingdom. The important thing I want you to note here, though, is that unlike the disciples, Jesus takes a positive view of both marriage and singleness. Marriage and singleness are both gifts from God. That's why he says in verse 11, it says, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. There's a gift there. Again, in verse 12, the one who can accept this should accept it. Marriage and singleness are both gifts from God. It all depends on one's calling from God. The Apostle Paul uh, writes about this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, where he says, it is good for a man not to marry. In other words, he says, that's okay if a person doesn't marry. He says, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. To some are given the gift of marriage, to some are given the gift of singleness. But what are we to make of this gift of singleness? I know some singles would say, well, singleness is a gift. Where do I return it? You know, <laughs> where's my gift receipt, right? <laughs> but you know, if, if you're not happy with being single, that's probably a good indication that God has not given you the gift of singleness. You just happen to be single uh, at this time in your life. But whether, uh, either way, whether singleness is a life calling or you just happen to be single or it's a, a temporary gift at this time, God is still in control. And that means that God has at least called you to be single for this season. And I want to encourage you. That means that you have some unique opportunities to serve Christ while you're still single. Some Christian singles are able to give more time to ministry in the church. Others are able to give more time to world-changing prayer. Some are able to go off on mission trips or take on more risky or uncomfortable assignments because they are single. When I was single, I served as a youth pastor at a church in Burbank, California. Tiny church. They really couldn't pay me, uh, but they they had room and board for me, or at least room. Uh, So I left the apartment where I was living, and I moved into the church. I slept in a Sunday school room, cooked in the church kitchen, ate in the church fellowship hall, and showered in the janitor's closet. And you know what? Those were great years of ministry. I look back at those years. They were awesome. Those were amazing. But you know what? I couldn't go back and do that now that I'm married. Rosie says, thank you, right? You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think Rosie wants to shower in the janitor's closet. Yeah, it's not going to happen, right? Unique opportunities to serve God when you're single. The Bible does not say that being single is better than being married. It does not say that being married is better than being single. They're just different. They're different 
callings with different sets of responsibilities and opportunities. And all I'm saying is this, whether you feel called to be single for the long term or not, realize that you have some unique opportunities for ministry while you are single. And so ask God, ask God, what would you have me to do, Lord? Once again, these could be some of the best years of ministry in your life. You know, the disciples had this real negative view, didn't they? Well, it's better not to marry then, right? They had a negative view of both marriage and singleness. They thought that marriage might be too risky, and they viewed singleness as an unfortunate byproduct of that risk. And Jesus tells them no on both accounts. He says, marriage and singleness are both gifts from God. And therefore, we should receive them as gifts from God. Let me close with just a few words of encouragement for each of you here this morning. If you are single today, please know that God loves you. He has not forgotten you. He has a plan for you. I don't know whether that plan involves marriage, but I do know that God is good, and your best way forward is to seek his kingdom first, and then trust him to take care of everything else. If you are divorced this morning, please know that God loves you. He has not forgotten you. He has a plan for you. And if your faith is in Christ, then your sins are forgiven, your slate is wiped clean, your best way forward is to seek his kingdom first, and then trust God to take care of the rest. If you are married this morning and you are struggling in your marriage, please know that God loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. He has a plan for you. Pray for your marriage, put Christ first in your marriage, love your spouse, ask God to bring the healing that only he can bring. Folks, marriage is serious business with God. I like what David Platt says about God and marriage in his commentary on our passage today. He says this, The reason God is so serious in his word about our marriage covenants with each other is because he is so serious about his marriage covenant with us. Jesus is worthy of our praise because he is always forgiving and he is always faithful. And unlike an earthly spouse, He will never commit adultery against you, and he will never abandon you. Marriage was created by God as a sacred covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. It is a picture of Christ and his church. So people, let's be faithful in our marriages. Let's not give in to a culture of sexual unfaithfulness or divorce. Marriage and singleness are both good gifts from God. 
Let us receive them from God with thanksgiving. And let us use them for his glory. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this teaching. So much in just a few words. And yet, Lord, you told us the most important things we need to know here about marriage, divorce, and singleness. Lord, I pray for each person here, whatever our state today, whatever our condition, whatever our circumstances, God, you are there. You love us. Your grace uh, is greater than everything we're going through. And we can look to you. We can lean on you. Lord, help us to hear your words, to absorb them into our lives today, to take encouragement and comfort from them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.